So I just invite you, Holy Spirit, just to, to be in us this evening and just settle our hearts. And just as I look around, I can see many faces. But the Spirit reveals the most important face of all to us. And in Genesis 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. This is my testimony, but it's God's wonderful story. And I recently read this, that not everyone we connect with will read books, but everyone you encounter can and will read your life. Because your life's a letter that people can read when they look at you. Christ himself wrote it, not with ink, but with God's living spirit. So I just want to thank God and give him all the praise and all the glory, not just for what he's done in my life, but for what he's done in the life of each person in this meeting tonight. And thank you, Lord, for the scripture that you've placed on my heart for this meeting. So as I share with you my testimony of saving grace, my name is Wendy Ferrin, and I was saved on the 20th of September last year. And you know, The meaning of Wendy in biblical terms is wanderer in the footsteps of Jesus. And that's what I was, just like the Israelites for over 40 years, lost, lonely, hungry. And in Psalm 119, verse 10, it says, With my whole heart I have sought you. Don't let me wander from your commandments. I attended a mission on Todd's farm, which had been organized by the late Stuart Todd, to whom I owe so much, because without that mission, who knows, I might still be that tortured soul, because that's what I was. I'm giving my testimony next week in Derry Keevan, and I always felt that this is where I'd give it first, that it was part of God's plan, but here I am tonight for the second time. So not here tonight for the second time, but speaking for the second time. So when Naomi asked me to come, I was a bit hesitant and I prayed about it. And God spoke yet again through this verse. It's Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So I went to that mission last year, not knowing what a mission was, and far less what it meant to be saved. You see, I was brought up in the Catholic faith. I received the sacraments. I went to Mass. And I thought, well, I'm a good person. And although I knew it wasn't perfect and had many flaws, I believed that my God is a good God and that he'd make sure I would go to heaven. And what a misconception that was. And the truth is that I never really gave any thought to the devil or hell. I actually believed that this was hell we were in. But I've always known about God. And I found myself questioning things about my faith. 
And I had a conversation with my father-in-law quite some years ago. And he told me about this great priest in Points Pass who gave absolution from the altar. And, you know, he thought this was great until I told him that I believed there was only one mediator. And I no longer believed in going to confession. I told him that I just go straight to the top. I go to the boss. And, you know, he thought about it for a minute. And he said, you know, you're right. There is only one mediator. And one of my very early childhood memories of feeling sad was when I came into the house and word had spread round that the priest was on his monthly round. Everybody would try and get their house into order. And though I was young, I came in and I could see my mummy pushing money round the table. And young and all as I was, I knew she was trying to work out who wouldn't get paid so that the priest would. Would it be the bread man or the milk man, the coal man or the gas man? Or even worse, would it be the TV man? Because for the young people in the audience tonight, I'm not talking about the TV license man. Back then, we rented our TV from Radio Rentals. And I know I was sad because Mummy was sad. And I never forgot that time because it really affected me in a very confusing sort of way. Because as a child... I just wondered why this man wanted to make us sad. So I was married at 18 to Edward and we had our first child when I was 20. And we had four children under five, two boys and two girls. And believe me when I tell you, life was busy, trying to juggle work and family. And so it was probably in my 40s when I really began searching for God in my life. And our children were now young adults. And like any parent, you're worried. And you're worried more about some rather than others. And you know, I was very aware that I was constantly asking God to answer prayer. And just let me know that he was there. I was really struggling to connect in my relationship with God. And I used to sit in Mass begging and pleading God just to give me a sign. Just that he could hear me. But it never happened. And to be honest, I felt like I was just uttering useless words. And I felt guilty because I knew I was always asking. I was never given. But I just didn't know what I had to give. And you know, this has probably been one of the most amazing things for me. Is that now I know how powerful prayer really is. And I'm still praying for Edward to be saved just so that he can have the same joy in his heart that I have. And it is my desire that each person here tonight will know that joy. And you know, I've also learned the art of waiting. Just waiting for answered prayer and waiting to hear God speak. And Mr. Murray, in a sermon a few months ago, said, you are not ready to live until you're ready to die. So it was a few years ago when Edward brought what I now know was a track into the house, but back then we called it Oliver McAllister's wee book. 
And I read it and I thought, that's a lovely story. And the second time Oliver's testimony came to me was through a really good friend. We were coming out of a charity shop and she said, there's something you might like to read. And when I got home, I read this wee book and I realised, I've read this before. I was stirred, but I'd done nothing about it. And the third time Oliver's testimony was brought into the house, I said to Edward, you know, this is the third time this testimony has come to me. And he looked at me and he says, you know, Wendy, I think we should get, and I thought, what's coming now? And he said, a Bible. I thought, that's not the worst idea you've ever had. And I was really stirred, and I decided, yes, I'm going to get a Bible. And I asked a work colleague where I would go to buy a Bible. And he said if I wanted one, he would get me one, and so he did. And, you know, I couldn't wait to get open on it. I was so excited. I was like a child on Christmas morning. And I opened it at the beginning and quickly decided this is not going to work. So I began flicking through it just waiting for something to speak. But every page read the same. The word enemy was the only word I could say. Now this didn't sit well with me because I didn't like this word. And I thought, I don't have any enemies. How foolish was I? And then I did read the story of Jacob And having no understanding of the real meaning of this word, I thought, I really don't like this book. So I asked a couple of girlfriends who knew were familiar with the Bible for advice. And they both told me the same thing. They said, go to the Psalms. And when I did this and I got to Psalm 23, God's word was revealed to me in its entirety. It was a real light bulb moment. And the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My head you anoint with oil. My cup runneth over. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And you know, I began saying this every day. Some days I said it 20 times. Other days, maybe only two or three And I was asked recently, when did I come under conviction? And you know, before being saved, I didn't even know there was such a thing. But maybe this was the beginning of my conviction. And I actually realized on the first Sunday, going to church after I got saved, that it was the enemy who was preventing me from opening the Bible and reading it. I often spoke of my great friend Oliver McAllister, even though I didn't even know him and I'd never met him. And then one day a guy in work said, your great friend Oliver is doing a mission in John Todd's farm. If you want to go, 
And you know, I didn't even have to think about it. I knew it, but there. And this was to be my first divine appointment. And I've had many more in the last year. And I went to that drive-in mission. And I was parked close to the front. And as Oliver began speaking, something happened. I began a conversation with God. Again, asking him, please help me. And Oliver spoke about King Agrippa. And all I could think was, I cannot leave here until I'm saved. I had no idea how this was going to happen. Then Oliver read Psalm 34 and verse 4. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And you know, in that moment, I felt God's tangible presence. Because this was the conversation I was having with him. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of failing. And I don't want to fail because I don't do failure well. And I drew all my strength from the words of that psalm. But I still asked, how is this going to happen, Lord? And I was asking God why he would want to save me. And how was he going to take control of the things that I knew were wrong in my life? And to cut a long story short, he did. And it happened. And as I was driving out, Oliver was passing his testimony through the car windows. And as he gave me the testimony, he asked, did I enjoy that? And I said, I absolutely did. And you know, my heart was pleading, please save me. But no words came out. And then Oliver asked, would I like to pull forward and have a chat? And I knew this is it. I'm going to get my chance to tell him how I'm feeling. And you know, I told him about my fears because I knew I could make the air really blue by times. And he assured me that the Lord would look after that. And so he did. And as we prayed, a huge weight lifted from me. I was consumed with the Holy Spirit. And you know, I've been going to Slimming World for over 20 years. And I lost more weight in that 20 seconds than I have in all those 20 years put together. And as I left the field that night, the moon was sitting low and it looked like it was smiling at me. And I remember saying, you might be smiling at me, but not half as hard as I'm smiling back at you. And you know, I couldn't wait to get home and tell Edward. And when I told him, he said, I knew you were going to get saved. Well, he knew more than me because I hadn't a clue. And he just said, you know, if you're happy, I'm happy. Because there's a lot worse things you could have come home and told me. And I have to say that my family and my friends have been so supportive. And have faced absolutely no negativity. And that's been just so amazing. And I received a daily message from David through Oliver a while ago and it read trying to hurt me by bringing up my past 
It's like trying to rob my old house. I don't live there anymore. And you know, I really love this new me because I'm the same person, but my heart is different. God has made me whole through his love. And in in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And around this time, my mummy got a terminal cancer diagnosis. And instead of falling apart, I leaned into Jesus because I knew God was in control. He held me and he comforted me and he strengthened me beyond anything that I thought was possible because she wasn't just my mummy. She was my very best friend and she got it all, the good, the bad and the ugly. And she was just so loving and generous and caring and just the most non-judgmental person that you'd ever wish to meet. And in early November, after a chemotherapy session, mummy was very agitated. And I used to pray with her and, and read from the Bible. And I asked her if she'd like to say the prayer for salvation, and she said yes. But just as we finished, Daddy walked into the room, and I was left hanging there, just like an apple on a tree. Had she given her life to Christ? And I decided at this point, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to pray that God will give me a sign. And I hadn't very long to wait because three weeks later, she told me she wanted me to come to the room and everyone had gone. And I eventually had to tell my sister to go home because mummy wanted to talk to me. She wanted to know what she wanted to talk to me about. And the truth is, I thought she wanted to give me a litany of things she wanted me to do when she wouldn't be here. And I went into her bedroom and I sat in the darkness and I said, well, mummy, what do you want to talk about? And she said, I want you to say the prayer to be saved. Wow. And as we prayed, she said that prayer with such strength and conviction that I was left in no doubt. And I then asked her, would she like me to pick a prayer from her prayer box? And when I came back into the room, she says, we're going to have to put the light back on now, aren't we? And I says, no, Mama, we both know this prayer. She said, it's the Lord's prayer, isn't it? And I says, yes, it is. She said, that's unbelievable. And Mummy passed away in February this year. I knew once I got saved that I needed Christian fellowship. I was really hungry for God's word. And a Google Christian churches near me and Grace Community Church in Rich Hill came up. And I fell in love with this church and all the people in it because they're just like an extension of my family. So for anyone that's here and they're not saved, I just ask you to invite the Holy Spirit into your life. Because if you were walking down the street and someone was offering you a free gift, you'd want it. But God is waiting. He's waiting with this free gift of salvation. Just accept it and receive the Lord God as your Lord and Saviour and you'll have a friend for life. One who doesn't run away at the first sign of trouble. 
one you can totally depend on, one who listens, never judges, and above all, one who gave his life for our sin. And in Ephesians 2, in verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And you know, in the weeks before Mummy died, she used to say, When's that bus coming for me? And I just said to you, there should be no waiting at the bus step for the next bus. Just get on that bus now. Because goodness alone is not enough to get you into heaven. You must accept that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and enter into a journey with him. Just get on that bus. It will take you to eternity. So thank you, Lord, that I no longer fear and I have the courage to spread your good word. And thank you, Lord, that you're a loving, forgiving, faithful father. And I thank you, Lord, that I get to ask you each day what you want from me. And that we're walking in unity. In Habakkuk 3, it says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. And you know, I thought that night when I put my pen down, these are my notes for my testimony. That's me done. And I went to Mummy's prayer box and I lifted out a prayer and this is what it read. A heart of love. Lord, when my eye confronts my heart and I realize you have filled my heart with your love, I am breathless with amazement. Because once my heart was so small in its vision, so narrow in its compassion, and so weak in its zeal for truth, then you chose to enter my heart. And now, in my heart, I can see you, and I can love all your people, and I have the courage to proclaim the truth of your gospel to anyone and everyone. Like wax before fire, my heart has melted under the heat of your love. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, uh, Wendy. I don't think you need to hear another message tonight, but there's one verse of Scripture I want to leave with you just before we close. It's found in First Timothy chapter 1. And it's the Apostle Paul when he said, This is a faithful saying, unworthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Are you saved tonight? That word saved, whenever Wendy was given her testimony, she mentioned it quite a few times. My dear people, tonight as we bring this message to a close, the concern of our heart would be not that you're not good enough, it wouldn't be that you wouldn't be educated enough. Our concern maybe wouldn't even be that you may not have enough money in the bank. The concern of our heart tonight, and indeed the concern of God's heart, would be this, are you saved? If you were like Wendy's mother tonight, and you had cancer, and you might have it and don't know, 
If you were facing that bus of eternity that we heard about, because the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. If you get an appointment for the doctor, you can rebook it. If you get an appointment at the MOT center, you can cancel it. You can postpone it to another day. If you've made arrangements with some family member or with some friend or at some event, you can, you can rebook it or put it into your calendar in a date that suits. But the most solemn thing about death is this. It's coming, but you don't know when. There is a man in the Bible, we don't know his name. He was a hard man. Up until this point that we read about him, he maybe never really had any thought about God. And that could be you tonight. But whenever he went to his work, he came in contact with two men. These two men that he came in contact had the same experience that her sister had. They were so full of joy and praise and adoration for God that whenever they were beaten and put in the inner prison, it says of Paul and Silas that they prayed and sang praises to God all the night. And that hard Philippian jailer, he wanted to put it out of his mind and it says that he fell asleep. And maybe at the close of this meeting, that's exactly what you would like to do, is just go home from the meeting, take a little bit of food, a cup of tea, and go to your bed and forget about everything that you've heard. I can see the Philippian jailer as he sits up in his office and he set Paul and Silas in the inner prison. And then suddenly in the middle of the night, God shakes the prison. And maybe God is shaking you tonight. And the cry of his heart as he got up and he ran into the inner prison and thinking that all the prisoners were gone and discovering that they were still there, the cry of his heart was this, what must I do to be saved? My dear people, that's the need of your life tonight. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. If maybe you're saying, Stephen, at five minutes to seven on this Sunday night, how do I get saved? This is a faithful saying. Unworthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Because there on the cross of Calvary, the blessed Son of God, the one who was set apart, who came to do the will of the Father, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And on the cross of Calvary, he paid a debt that you and I could never pay. That debt of sin and that burden that her sister talked about tonight, whenever she was going to, to lose a time to lose a physical wit for 20 years, I can understand what she means because the moment a man or woman gets saved, we were singing it this morning round the table. You know what happens? Rolled away. Rolled away. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And the burden of my heart rolled away. Is that the burden you need to have removed tonight? You say, Stephen, you still haven't told me how to get saved. 
That man that was in the inner prison, that man that the Philippians year came to, he gave him a very simple answer. This is what he said. You need to work for it. No, he didn't say that. He, he said, sir, you need to turn over a new leaf. He didn't say that either. He, he didn't say you need to even read your Bible. He didn't say you need to make a New Year's resolution. No, my dear friends, listen to it. He just says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And whenever you discover on the cross of Calvary that the Lord Jesus Christ, he paid in full. He satisfied the wrath of God. And that's why our young people could sing tonight, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. You say to me, Stephen, did he die for me? Yes, he did. You know, if you went to a doctor's and you had an ailment and the prescription was penned and you went to Boots Chemist and you got the little prescription and you went down and you, you handed it to the person in Boots Chemist and you, you waited in the queue a little moment in time and then they give you the medicine. Wouldn't it be a little bit foolish if you just set the medicine in the cupboard? And maybe you set it in the mantelpiece and you said, I know, I know that's what I need to take. I know that's the remedy. I know that's the cure to my problem. And you never took it. If you died, you'd be a fool. And you could be in this meeting tonight and you know all about the gospel and you know all about sin and you know more than what her sister knew whenever she got saved. And you know about the precious blood and you know about the resurrection. You know about the beauties of heaven and the torments of hell. You know about the free offer of salvation and you're still not saved. And this dear woman tonight brought up in Catholicism, she's on her way to heaven tonight and you're maybe a Protestant and you're on your way to hell. And you're going down into the flames of eternity. A few weeks ago, I heard the story of a carload of young men in Desert Martin. And they were at a gospel meeting and they were driving home and they were, there was no talk in the car. And the car man that was driving the car, he was a young fellow. The car got slower and slower. And he stopped the car on the Desert Martin Road. And the other friend said to him, what's wrong? He says, I can feel the very flames of hell under my seat. And he got out of his seat and got down in the road and all four of his friends got down beside him and called upon the name of the Lord and put their trust in him and turned from their sin and they were saved. That's what you need, friends. And I tell you, he's a faithful friend. That same man in the Philippian jail, that man Paul also went on to say, call upon whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, listen to it, shall be Save. No ifs. No buts. And whenever you come to that place and discover that that man, the Son of God, died for you and the price has been paid and you rest your eternity there. Whenever the American Indians were showing the, the English around newfound England and whenever that Discoverer was going through America and he had those Indian guides with him. The Indians brought him to a river. And they said to the man, he says, we need to rest here for the night. And the word that the Indians used was the word Missouri. The state of Missouri. That word Missouri means just rest here. Do you see, whenever you discover that the Lord Jesus died for you, 
Do you see whenever you discover that the penalty of your sin has been paid for in precious blood? Do you see whenever you discover that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to save you and whenever you repent of your sin and put your trust in him, you know what you can do? You can say like the Indian so many years ago, let us just rest here. I need no other argument. I seek no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died. And that he died for me. Are you saved tonight? If you were to die and we were to inscribe the date of your death and the date of your birth and say some nice sentiment about you, could be right underneath it, saved, ready to go? Or would you be lost for all, all of eternity?